Today's episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Briarcrest College and Seminary and by our friends at Alpha Canada. But I'm fighting for him. I'm not even fighting for my generation anymore. Like, I'm fighting for my son's generation, though. And whatever it takes to reach that generation, we gotta go, we gotta go and try it. Versus, well, you know, the 40, 50-year-olds, we've done it this way and it's worked. Well, you know, (laughs) I'm sorry to say, but the younger generation, they adapt real quick and it's different. So I'm always trying to challenge them to to think think ahead of the mission rather than the the preferences, right? Like, most of what we're fighting for preferences, not about reaching people. So that's sort of my my kind of hill I'm willing to die on is like, hey, are we is this advancing the mission or is it just sort of keeping a few people happy? Hey guys, it's Jason here, and I want to welcome you back to another episode of the podcast. Today, we have a Canadian pastor that I'm very excited for you to meet, the Reverend Dr. Homing Choi. Homing is one of the lead pastors of a multi-generational, multilingual church in Richmond Hill, Ontario called Richmond Hill Christian Community Church. Homing has an incredible story of faithfully serving in various positions at Richmond Hill over 15 years before becoming the lead pastor. We talk a lot about succession of leadership in local churches on this podcast, and the reason for that is because this is such a big theme that church leaders are facing across Canada today, and will be increasingly so over the next decade. So, when I sat down with Ho Ming, we chatted a lot about this, and he shares what it was like following the founding pastor and their journey of succession. We also got to talk about his own experience with burnout. He was candid about that. It was very helpful and transparent. He talked about his thoughts about how to find courage in the midst of criticism, and so much more in this conversation. And another reason why I've appreciated talking to Homing myself and why I wanted to have him on the podcast and why I really think we'll have him on again sometime soon is because he's leading in such a specific context that I believe is so essential for the fabric of the church across Canada. Homing's leading in a large-scale ethnic church with three congregations that each speak different languages. And so obviously it takes a uniquely strong leader to steer a ship like that. And because we live in such a multicultural country, we've got so much to learn from leaders like Ho Ming. And the more we can connect and collaborate across those lines, the better off we will all be. Okay. With all of that said, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Let's jump in. Well, hey, brother. It is so nice to be with you today. Really grateful for your time, man. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you. Now, for those that don't know you, and you and I, we're just getting to know each other as well. Uh, give us a little bit of a picture of who you are, your work life, your family. Uh, just give us kind of the, the brief introduction to your world. Sure. My name is Homing Choi. I'm the uh, lead pastor of the Richmond Hill Christian Community Church. We're obviously in Richmond Hill, Ontario, Canada. Uh, I've been pastoring the church for 15 years full-time, and in those 15 years, I've done four roles. So from youth pastor to the young adults pastor to the English lead pastor to now the lead pastor. So I've kind of gone through the different experiences of what that's like, uh, starting from intern all the way to where I am now. Uh, I'm married to my high school sweetheart, Katie. Uh, We have three children and a cute little French bulldog that I have to proudly say I own. So... (laughs) <laughs> oh, I love that. And tell us a little bit about Richmond Hill Church. Like, it's a unique church. It's a big church. It's got mm-hmm. some strong history and influence. Um, just give us a little bit of its story and, and kind of the landscape of it. Sure. Yeah, we started in uh, 1985. And our founding pastor was named uh, Pastor Sam Chan. He started it, and it, it was a very typical immigrant church. Uh, you know, when, when in the 70s and 80s and, and 90s, when a lot of folks come, came over from Hong Kong uh, due to the 1997 handover, uh, which is still playing out today, um, you know, a lot of churches were, were built. And uh, in Toronto, there's about, you know, 250 immigrant churches, Chinese churches, not even including the others, uh, like Koreans or Japanese churches that were planted and, and still thrive today. So, yeah, we are uh, located in Richmond Hill. Uh, we're very typical in the sense we have three language groups, the Mandarin, the Cantonese, and the English. Most Chinese churches will have that combination. And so uh, we are, yeah, scale-wise, we're a larger church. You know, we, usually on a Sunday, we'll have upwards of 4,000 plus people at the church. Obviously, during COVID, it's, we, we don't, we're not sure how many people are tuning in. We do have a little bit estimate. But yeah, we're, we're, we're um, yeah, that type of church, multi-generational, multilingual um, and, and the typical t- type of things like uh, programs for people, that, you know, from 
and newborn all the way up to my, my grandma was a hundred that still goes to the church. So <laughs> no way. I love yeah. that. And so you've been at this church for some time now and on staff, you said for 15 years, mm-hmm, um, yeah. what, what was the, the entry point for you Were you, you were attending the church before you entered into ministry. Talk about that entry point to ministry. Yeah. So I was born in um, Kingston, Ontario. And then my father got a job in Regina, Saskatchewan, believe it or not. And afterwards, when I was eight years old, they came to Toronto because my dad found a better job and because Toronto has a lot of Chinese food. So we moved over and we were introduced to this church. And at the time, it had maybe 100 people. We were just introduced because my my auntie went there. So she said, you know, come to this church. I really like it. So we went and that was that. that. And that was when I was eight years old. So I've been to the church 32 years. Uh, And I was saved at the church. I was baptized there, you know, served at the church. So uh, when I was around 21 or so, in, in, I went to Queen's University for life sciences. Uh, I just felt that this path in medical school and the, <laughs> the thing that my father wanted me to, maybe wanted me to do, my father's a doctor, um, you know, I didn't, it didn't really pan out. I didn't really feel that was what the Lord was pressing on my heart. So I moved and went into seminary straight away uh, hmm. at 22 years old. And that was, that's, the rest is history in terms of uh, the church journey, yeah. Wow. Being in a church like yours, like there's... There's lots of churches like this across Canada that are running multiple languages, multiple congregations. And I know with that comes some really beautiful benefits, outreach mm, to yeah. new people in different ways, dynamic ministry, uh, lots of front doors, lots of missions. And then there's unique challenges. Give us a bit of a picture of some of those those unique challenges that you face in this context, working with multiple congregations across multiple languages. Yeah, this is this could take another few podcasts just to, to cover, as you know. But uh, I'd say if, in, in a few areas, number one, the cultural dynamics are at play. Um, some would say that, um, you know, the Canadian culture, uh, North American culture is a, more of a low context culture. And the Eastern culture, you know, the Asian culture is more of a high context culture. And for those, uh, you know, wondering what those are, you know, low context culture is when it's a little bit more explicit, when the le- communication's explicit, um, there's um, there's just a lot more, um, you know, visual cues, things like that when you're communicating. Uh, in a low context, in a high context culture, a lot of things are subtle. So you have indirect communication, uh, change is very slow, uh, you learn from multiple sources, uh, relationships build very slowly, they don't end very quickly, like they're very... They take some time, you know, it's based on trust. So, I mean, there are books written on this, but essentially when you have these two cultures, you know, coming into one church, uh, everything from communication to, to, to how do you build trust to how do you build a ministry uh, can can be in conflict, you know. And so uh, right now in most Chinese churches, I would say that um, the shift is from someone who planted the church who was an immigrant to perhaps someone like me who's a second generation canadian born uh fellow so so that is one huge uh, piece mm. that i'm probably not doing justice but you know i'm uh, you know it's it's there so you essentially have two cu- cultures coming into you know uh, you know into this one church and trying to do things in this one church so that's that's mm. one thing that's definitely you know uh, part of it the second thing i think is in terms of um you know, vision, I would say overall what a vision is of the church mm-hmm. is, you know, when, when you, when you start off as an immigrant church, you plant a church because, you know, you want to build a community that's reaching the same people that are coming into the country as you. So you build something, you know, like an immigrant church and you tend to folk, it's sort of like a social hub, community hub. Um, and I don't want to belittle any of the work that was done by my parents' generation, but they really built a sort of a, a place where they could come together, practice their faith in a contextualized yeah. way. And, and that was that. But, um, uh, you know, as churches grow, and I think I learned this from Nikki Gumbel, um, you know, they, they tend to go up and, and in, right? He says mm. that, right? Upward and inward. So they, they rise in age and they focus inwardly. And I think we're no different. You know, we, we tend to do that as well. And he says the challenge is you got to go down and out. So down into generations and outward to the people. And mm. I think, I think, the mentality of usually an immigrant is they want to, you know, and across the board, they want to build a better, um, a better life for their children. And, and one of the idols I would say, you know, call it out is really this idol of comfort. You know, we just want to have um, kind of a, you know, comfortable life, a, you know, better life than you had back in, in your home country. 
because my parents came over and they didn't have much. You know, they 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 had to accumulate wealth. They had to build up, uh, you know, their home and the you know their connections. And so they want to pass on really good things to the next generation. But the problem is, you end up being sort of a kind of a social hub. So one of the things that I've been trying to do with the church is move it from you know a social hub, you know, to to have a more missional minded mentality mm. to not just reach just Chinese people, but the, the immediate neighborhood around us, you know, and and if it happens to be Chinese people, that's great. If it happens, to be, you know, in Richmond Hill, the next big group is the Persian group, you know, Farsi speaking folks. So we've been we've been trying to do outreach towards them. So moving it towards, you know, from shifting it from social hub to sort to a missional movement is something mm. that I think most churches need to, you know, Chinese churches need to to uh, think through. Um, so yeah, that's sort of you know that's a big picture, and I probably yeah talk I appreciate that so much. It's so helpful, and I think that what you just described there, well, unique in your context, that idea of how'd you word it? You, um, churches tend to grow up and in, and we need to yep. move down and out. Yeah, what what's working, man? Like, because I think I think every church leader is trying to figure out how do we help curb the temptation to pursue comfort and resist change. Um, and then to see the na- as the neighborhood changes, letting the church grow and transition. Well, yeah, what's working? What have you found is a helpful way to actually pastor people through that kind of dramatic change? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, on a very, I'm a pretty practical person, you know, a very practical note, I think little steps that people can commit to can help. So, you know, some churches call that a discipleship pathway. And, you know, Dallas Willard used to say, you better have one, you know, if the second question is, if it's a good one, you better think through that. And and so I think all churches have one, whether it's effective enough is another question. Mm. And for for me, uh, we're trying to position it so that, you know, everybody can be part of the mission, you know, Uh, and some people are going down a path of, you know, donations and giving money. Some people are going the path of, you know, actually assembling food baskets and giving it to certain, you know, certain communities. Um, another thing we've been working on is sort of challenging our folks to help others, you know, live through the immigrant experience. They used to do it. Like my parents came 40 years ago as immigrants. They had nothing. They had no connections. So, you know, their English wasn't even that good. And we're turning around and saying there are still immigrants coming to Canada and they're not just coming from China and Hong Kong, you know, mm. but they're coming from different parts of the world. How can we, you know, be a be a place of, of hope for them? How can we help them out? You know, they say that, you know, a lot of times um, immigrants, one of the first things that they really need is that, uh, you know, community help, you know, the community presence. A lot of times that comes from a religious community, like a church. So we're doing that, that sort of thing. So we've been in contact with some churches just to, help them build second gen ministries because they're second gen they're speaking English now, just like how yeah. I, I did. So they're they're they, they need help in terms of doing that kind of stuff. So we've been trying to do that. Um you know, one thing COVID has led us to is uh, a concept called church at home because mm. the scale of our church we can't go back all together. So what we've been trying to do is challenge our folks to, you know, be the church on your street. And that's been a radical mind shift for a lot of people because a lot of people just like coming to church and we're saying no, just don't just come to church, you know, don't return to the building, but be the church because the church is never closed. So we've been challenging our folks to be like you, you're, you are the mission base on your street. Like you got to think of it differently. God gave you a house. God gave you the things that you own, not so that you can keep to your little, you know, your little fortress, but be a church for the city, not against the city or just in the city, but for the city you know, for the betterment of your street. Mm-hmm. So we've been challenging our folks to do that and organize themselves in geographic, you know, church at homes versus uh, rush back to the church building and be building centric again. So, I mean, those are a lot of little ideas, but that's what we're sort of pushing our church toward. Yeah. I loved just earlier when we were chatting before we hit record, you just sort of reframed the idea of reentry. You know, a lot of church leaders are thinking, what does reentry look like post covid yeah. I know we're still in the midst of it, but as restrictions change, what is quote unquote reentry? But you, you kind of reframed it. Like you're pushing for like, now this isn't just a return to normal. There's, there's an opportunity here. And I just love to get you to share with everyone listening, like a bit about that reframe because it just was so helpful for me. Yeah. Um, you know, and we, we've been sort of toying with the idea of you don't just react, but take this time as a pause for your church, you know, take it as a 
a time when God is going to ask you to start things that you never thought about. He's going to ask you to stop things that you probably should have started, stopped years ago and shed from your life and your church. And it's a season of renewal rather than um, a season of reaction. You know, I think mm. what I mean by that is a lot of churches are now trying to get back to reopening. But I think it's a sort of a missed opportunity uh, because no, you know, you're not going to have this time again, you know, where your church going to pause meeting together. You know, it hasn't happened in 100 years. And so don't miss this opportunity to 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 reimagine what the church could be. So we're we're asking our folks to do that. We're we're trying to renew our people and, and get them ready for a new season of what the Lord's going to bring. And I, I think that's been a little bit more of a helpful mindset because we've been telling people, you know, like let's let's use the terminology right. The church is never closed; it's hmm. open. But how you would do your ministry has to adapt in COVID. And let's face it, it's, it won't go back to the old way of doing things, at least for the next few years. And if not, maybe some things should not go back the way they were. So I've been asking, you know, our church ask questions like, um, what have we, what have we, you know, lost that we need to recover? You know, because before COVID, uh, maybe there are things that we've stopped doing that. And then some, and then on the upper, up, opposite end, we've been thinking about what have we had to uh, start that we've never done before. You know, those are the kind mm. of questions we're asking. So we're hosting, you know, little web seminars uh, in the next few months to get our church ready all the way up to October because we really don't feel like we'll we'll gather into the building again safely uh, until probably fall, if not longer. You know, we're not mm-hmm. we're not even talking about it right now. We're we're still doing the church at home concept and then getting getting the people ready. So, mm. yeah. As you, because I know you're you're a really strong leader and you're thinking with the lens of faith about the future, like what God, what, what could God be up to? Just would love to know a little bit about what you're dreaming, whether it's just for Richmond Hill or for the GTA or Ontario, just what are you dreaming that God could be doing in this time that you're trying to align yourself and your church with? You know, I, I think one thing, uh, Jason, that I've been thinking about is, is where, where does uh, the, you know, Chinese church, Asian church, Korean church, ethnic church, what place does it have in the greater landscape of Canada, of Toronto? And, you know, for those listening, you know, there there are 250 Chinese churches just in G, the GTA. There are over 500 in, in Canada. So, I mean, it's, it's a significant group. And, you know, the immigration just keeps going. So uh, more of these type of churches will pop up. And I just wonder what, what is our future. And I've sort of challenged a church um, – by saying this, I said this to the, the team last week, you know, we, we, we should be a church that is is sort of setting the, setting, be pioneering a little bit in terms of what it means to reach out to multicultural landscapes, you know, because if you're planted here and you realize you've got different types of folks, including a lot of immigrants, how do you build a church that, that reaches out to, to that, that, you know, that type of landscape. I, that's something I've been really thinking about. Um, I don't know how to do it exactly, but, but at least uh, we're on the right track because we, we have to do that. You know, our church every Sunday has to produce basically three services because we can't just, I mean, most churches are just doing one. We got to do three all the time because of the different three languages alone. So that's just language. I'm not even just talking about the people attending yeah. from different cultures, but yeah, that's just three languages. Hmm. But I think, Churches of the future might have to think about that, you know? Yeah. Um, and um, anyways, so that's what we're kind of toying with, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, maybe this is a bit selfish of me, but I'm planting a church here in Vancouver. Yeah. And when I look at the city and I pray and I walk around, um, it's not people that look like me, man. You know, and it's the the connection points between Vancouver and Hong Kong, and India and the world. And if you're giving me a pep talk, you know, like Ballard, as you're planting a church, because we want to, we want to, re- we want to reach, we want to build a church that reflects the demographics of the city. Yeah. And we want to serve people where they're at. You know, we don't want to just say, come onto our turf. Give me the pep talk, man. Like, what do I need to be thinking about if I'm serious about reaching people, first, second generation immigrants to Vancouver? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, <clears throat> I think... I think people when they when they immigrate to to, to a city, they're 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 kind of they they go the this principle. They kind of try to find people that are quite similar to them. Like I've been to 
different parts of the world and I bumped into Chinese people. If I can speak a little bit of Cantonese to them, they just drop everything and they just want to be your best friend. I don't know. It's kind of weird, you know, but they, they do that. So I think just understanding them, I mean, and you might, if you don't speak the language, um, you can, you speak the language of love. And I think people hmm. will be drawn to that. You know, they, they, they want to know that they're welcome, that they're, uh, that you truly try, you're trying to listen to their hopes and their fears and, and if you can just be their friend, I think at least I can speak as a Chinese person. You know, they, that really means a lot. I mean, because you have to understand anybody from from Asia, the language of um, sort of relationships are built on a lot of, you know, slow trust. You know, they're just mm. they're that type of folks. So, I mean, that's sort of what I've been trying to do in our own community is, is sort of if I see someone who's not from uh, from Canada, to, you know, they weren't born in Canada. I just try to keep that in mind. It's a fearful experience for them. It's not easy. They, they, they've been asked to leave everything and to try to adapt and raise their kids, and, and they're just trying their best. And that's sort of something I've been kind of thinking about. Um, I love it. I'm grateful for that. I mean, sometimes I just on on these calls with people, I'm like, well, since I've got them, I may as well ask <laughs> a real, yeah. real personal question. But I think a lot about it, and I just think. A lot of people listening, they're dreaming for the whole church in Canada. Yeah. And I just think if we're serious, we're praying for renewal, revival, an outpouring, of, you know, a move of God, it is going to take diverse churches with different expressions in different yeah. places. With, um, and it, it, you know, I just, so I just really am cherishing this opportunity to be able to chat with you because I just know that, you know, when I, even the landscape of the church in Vancouver, and this is the same with any cities across Canada, there's so many diverse expressions of churches, but there can sometimes be a gap. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, like a bit of a divide between ethnic churches and then whatever the other alternative is, you know, mm-hmm. non-ethnic churches. And what does it look like for, because I think if, I think we need to figure out what it means to be actually friends as pastors mm-hmm, and yeah. actually work together. It doesn't mean doing everything together. Like it's, that's not unity. I think there's, a, but yeah, what, what, have, what are you learning about connecting with other pastors in your area and building bridges. And is this something that, yeah, is this something that we can lean into more? I'm just curious what you think about that. I think it's okay, sort of this idea that it's okay that we do have a diverse group of churches and not everybody's going to fit in black and white into each, any of these churches totally. Like um, in, in other words, um, if you can, there are like, I'm thinking about my parents, they, it, it they were able to go to a, a like a like a Chinese church in Toronto. If they didn't have a Chinese church, they'd probably go to some type of church. But their preference would be a language group type of church. And I would just say it's okay. It's it'd be okay to do that. I think it's yeah. it's good to have diversity. And um, but I also know some of my friends who are Chinese CBC. They're they're bored, but they're going to other type of churches. So it's sort of this kind of mix that's happening. And I think we can all be understanding that we can all be in you know, different lanes, so to speak, and be okay with that. At the same time, can we build platforms where we're talking and listening and, um, and sharing a little bit more? I think, uh, I think to be honest, our, the drug of today is just busyness. Everybody's just sort of so yeah. busy. I got no time to talk to, talk to anybody. I don't even talk to the other Chinese churches. Forget about it. You know, so I'm, I'm glad for what Alpha's doing and uh, others who are, are trying to build, you know, platforms where different churches come together, learn from each other. Um, you know, I've been really toying with that. I mean, we we've been talking. We talked about that last time we we met. You know, yeah. in uh, in our Zoom call, and I just uh, I want to kind of explore more of that. What that looks like. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I just I, think I'm we've not, got tons to learn from each other, yeah. and uh, but those some of those relationships just haven't existed. You know, and I think you nailed it, man. It's 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 not a lack of necessarily wanting to. Maybe that's there, but it, I think it's the busyness, man. We're all just trying to keep the organization's going. And if you're part of a denom or network or group, you're like, oh man, I'm not even doing a good job connecting with them, let alone others. And it can happen so easily. Yeah. Um, yeah. More of a kingdom mentality, I think would help. I mean, we, we're sort of building our own kingdom, so to speak, and everybody's sort of making sure their budgets are there and their, their vision is there. And they're trying to connect on a, probably a super, a little bit more of a superficial way. And someone said something like, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to butcher this quote, but basically, you know, you know, acceptance is, is, uh, sort of like you can be invited to the party, but being asked to dance is really acceptance, right? You, so a lot of mm. people are invited to parties and yeah. you, they're, they're called networking parties, right? So you and I are a yeah. part of parties, but to actually dance and work together and to build something together, that's, 
that's something I, I, I haven't seen too much of in Canada. And yeah. I'd love to see more of that. Besides doing a, like a big rally type of event, which we've all been part of and I've been part of. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, besides, uh, does there anything else that can stick besides doing the evangelistic kind of big rally thing? I, I don't know. I, I haven't seen too many forms of it. Yeah, uh, and I'd love to see more of that in Canada, I, and I just don't know what this looks like. But maybe this is the time to reimagine. I think so. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. I think there's been some cool things that even COVID has um, pushed. Like I've heard about churches that didn't have the resources to put on an online service, so three churches in a region got together and hosted together, or yeah. people learning from each other. Like I don't know how to pull this thing off. I'm seeing you're using this platform. You know, even in this conversation, you told me about how you're leading your church to reimagine the future. I'm thinking, man, I got to draw from that. And I do think the sense of like, I've got to have all the answers. That's like, I think we're past that. And there's sort of this growing (laughs) sense of needing to learn from each other. Hey, we're going to jump back into our conversation with Homing in just a moment. But before we do, I want to let you know about an online conversation that I'm going to be hosting with Alpha Canada in just over a week. So as a pastor of a new church here in Vancouver, this fall, we're launching our third Alpha course online. Alpha Online has been an incredible tool for our church, and it's been so exciting to see the way that many churches have got on board taking Alpha from an in-person experience to an online experience, and it's created all of these new evangelism opportunities across our country. So on September 1st at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, I'm going to be hosting a webinar called Explore Alpha, and it's really designed for those of you who are considering or want to know more about what it could look like to run Alpha Online at your church. The hope is that this conversation would help you envision how Alpha could fit within your church's mission and calendar as you move towards the fall. So we're going to spend some time talking about why I think Alpha has worked in creating a space that people are really excited to bring their non-Christian friends to and how it works uniquely in the online space. There's going to be a time for Q&A, so I'd love for you to bring any questions that you have specific to your church. You can register at the bottom of our blog for this episode or head to alphacanada.org slash webinars. I hope to see you there. Okay, let's jump back into our conversation with our friend Homing. You're in such a unique spot uh, just by your age. You're 40 years old, so -hmm. I think that makes you a young Gen Xer. Is that right? They call me a a Xenial, which is 1980 to 1984, and I don't know what that means. So, like, it's between X and and, and Millennial. That's what I am. Yeah, yeah. And I don't honestly, I don't know what that means. It sort of means you're (laughs) you're you're in this lost zone. But yeah, I'm right at that tip. In your church, there's like at least five generations. You've got Gen Z, you got Millennials, you got Xers boomers elders it's all there and you're sitting in the middle and i imagine you are often brokering translating and i just wonder like um yeah if you love to just give you a chance to speak to both that older audience and the younger audience is your experience because you're in a unique spot there's not a lot of 40 year old pastors in canada Mm -hmm. there's a lot of uh, churches being led by boomers and then there's a lot of millennials in sort of the pipeline but there's a big gap there and you kind of sit in the middle of that gap. And I just love some of your reflections and thoughts as you have experienced speaking between into both those different age groups. Yeah. Um, I think to the, to the older folks, I, I would, you know, I have to say something and the younger folks I have to say something like the older, I'm right in the middle. Like you said to the older ones. I mean, if you've been pastoring for 20 plus years, you're a legacy leader and I applaud you and I honor you. And it's not easy, you know, not not many people can make it. And especially if you pastored one or two churches for your entire life and you're doing the, that little, that work that is just unseen and unheard of. And, you know, most church pastors don't have big platforms to speak out of. And, and so I just really applaud you. You guys are my heroes. And, and uh, my mentor who passed away last year was a, a pastor who basically was that, you know, and uh, he was, he pastored for 50 years. Wow. And um, he's an incredible man. A lot of people might know know him sort of. He's not a big-time speaker or anything, but he just was an incredible man who passed for 50 years, Pastor Grover Crosby. And uh, I miss him to, to this day, but I, he's the kind of guy I look up to. And I would just mm. in, encourage pastors that are older to invest in the younger guys because we, we do need it, you know. Like he invested three three years straight at one point where he just met me every week for coffee. Wow. Um, and that was – a. Big commitment on my end, but it was a big commitment on his end. But he loved to do it, and I'll, I'll remember and cherish that for the rest of my life. That's beautiful. So I just just want to just you know thank yeah thank the the older pastors out there, um, and hopefully like, you know one day Jason you and I will be 
talking on this podcast when we're you we're know the old guys. Yeah, we're old guys, and we can say you know all this stuff and much more wisdom. Uh, to the younger guys, though, I mean, they're probably not. You know, I'm a little bit worried. I don't see too many younger guys out there in my circle. Uh, I hope more and more will come because they see how maybe how difficult the pastorate is and how difficult it is to lead churches. But if you are younger, I just want to just um, you know honor you as well. You know, you've chosen to do something that is not easy, not for the faint of heart. But I pray that um, you will uh, you will grow in the season and that we are with you. And that if I could, you know, myself or Jason or anybody who's been in ministry for a little bit longer can help you. I'd love to to connect and, and that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I just. I sit right in the middle, so I'm, I'm not a rookie, but I'm not I'm not a legacy leader yet right now. So I'm trying to, yeah, I'm firmly in the middle. Yeah, you know, there's just so many amazing men and women who have pioneered the church in Canada to learn yeah. from, yeah. and uh, and then there's a lot of there are young men and women. I, I I was saying a lot, but I think you're right that there there's I think there's a little bit of a gap in front of us where we go, hey, who will be the men and women who step up into into this, into the the season ahead, you know, as people approach retirement and legacy pastors transition out and what will that baton pass look like? You know, what does that look like for healthy succession? And you've been, you've experienced, um, succession from the founding pastor. Is that right? Yeah, um, yeah. and I would just love a little bit of a window into that experience and maybe looking back some of the things that you, that you've learned that maybe other people could, could just benefit from, or maybe just even just describe the experiences. People are just trying to look for like, has anyone else experienced what I'm experiencing in transitions like that? Yeah. Yeah. This is such a big topic. We need another podcast. for. <laughs> but uh, succession, I think is, is on the rise to become one of the, the top issues in, in Canada uh, very quickly. And you, you know, as a younger pastor, you're probably going to go down one or two paths. One is you're going to replant a church or, you know, take a succession on like myself, or you might be like, uh, you, Jason, who's going to plant a new church and fresh new vision. They're both difficult challenges. You know, they're, they're different though. And uh, I went through the, the, the succession process about two years ago, two, three years ago, rather, you know, I've been in the job for two years now as a this lead guy. But before then it was our senior pastor had pastored the church for 32 years. He, he founded wow. the church, you know, he's an incredible man of faith and of vision, and he's a good shepherd as well. So, I mean, it's a big shoes to fill. And, and you know, someone said, you know, don't try to fill the shoes because you never will. Just, you know, put on your own pair. So I've been sort of doing that. But I, I would say, you know, for, you know, just really broad strokes in terms of, you know, sort of there's the process and the, and the personal. And the personal, I would say the emotional toll it takes on both parties in the church is quite tremendous, and we should not uh, discount that. I would tell people – to make sure that you are you are really investing as much energy into the process, uh, but also investing the same equal amount of energy in terms of spiritual and emotional care for both parties. It's tough. It's tough on the successor. It's tough on the 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 the, the founder as well. And and um, I don't think we probably did enough of that. You know, typical. Mm. You know, Asian church, we don't talk a lot about our feelings and a lot of things are assumed. So so it was difficult. And I would say at the that time I was about thirty seven years old and. And uh, I remember because of the succession and be- probably because of where I was in my age, my, my maturity, I really went through a difficult time. It was, uh, you know, there were de- I was depressed at one point. You know, it was so mm. tough because, you know, one of the things I can pinpoint it back to is sort of when you'd gone through a succession process, you're being evaluated. It's, it's yeah. mentally draining. You're trying to. You're trying to, you know, say things about why you should lead the church and stay humble. You know, it's kind of a weird thing that you, that you're put through, <laughs> and so you know what I mean. And 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 I remember going to to see a counselor. It got so tough. I went to see a counselor, and uh, he had told me, you know, around 37 age mark, you know, to, to about 43, he sees so many young guys that are are burnt out. They're tired. They're depressed. They're exhausted. And he said, you know, on his encouragement. You know, you're no different in that sense, you know, that because I think at that age, you've you spent, you know, especially when you're younger, you spent so much energy building up your you could call it your career, your ministry. Um, and a lot of it is just your youthful energy, you know, and, mm. and you, you're just tired after a while and you realize your strength alone is not going to cut it, you know. And so you kind of get into this, you spiral out of control. And then on top of that, I had a succession in, in place. So I really went through a kind of a like a little bit of a nosedive. And thankfully, with prayer and support, and even uh, you know, you know, medical help and things like that, it got better. And so I'd say, you know, the the, the personal side, it, it really 
you know, I, I learned mm-hmm. a lot about myself and I'm hopefully yeah. a better person than that. Process wise, it's difficult for a church. You need a lot of clarity and, and a lot of boundaries in place. I, I would say the big principle that I learned is um, you need more of an overlap between the incoming guy and the outcoming guy. I don't think we had enough. I'd say also afterward the succession happens, you need a lot of space. You know, you need to mm. be able to craft your own ministry and make mistakes. The church has to be prepared for that. You know, this new guy is not going to be the old guy. He is going to take the church in a new, new direction. He's and, and I would say, you know, from in my case, I, I'm we're trying to honor the past. We're trying to honor our founders and try to keep that in mind. But it, but we got to take the church in a new direction, especially COVID. And uh, last thing I would say about that is, you know, and I'm really cutting it short, but um, the succession process should be ideally more of a discipleship process than it is an application process, especially mm. if you're trying to find someone in, in-house. You know, if you've got an in-house guy, um, someone who's in the church already, and I've had some friends like this, it's really much more of a discipleship process than an evaluation, you know, improvement process. That That's a little bit too impersonal for me. I think it's much more about one man or one person discipling another person hmm. uh, to take the role and to say, you know, encourage them and bless them and say, I pass on what I know and go forward with that knowledge and that understanding versus I've interviewed you. You sound like the right guy, but I really don't know. I, you know, please don't mess up my church, you know, so <laughs> I can really go down that, that path. And yeah, anyways, that's, I know I talked a lot, but that's. The, no, the, dude, I, I, th- I think this is a worth all the minutes and we'd love to, to lean into some of the things that you talked about there. Um, I'm curious how you navigated and are navigating criticism. You know, I, I think that especially when you're in a multi-generational church and, and you are leading them through change, yeah, there's critics on every side. And just curious yeah. how you personally, as a leader, have found the courage to keep leading. Um, and how do you respond to that personally? Oh, it's It's been quite tough because you got to remember my church, I have some staff that don't even really speak English. <laughs> so if they're going to criticize, you could be in a different language. You don't even know what they're saying. But, um, you know, on the, that end. Um, yeah, Jason, I, I, I don't think I'm immune to it. Just like anybody else listening to this, obviously criticism is part of the job. Any time, you know, one, I don't know who I can attribute this quote to. Someone's told me and I've taken it to heart. Uh, leadership is disappointing people at a rate they can, they can take, you know, so you're going to disappoint someone, but if you do it too fast, you are, it's too furious. You are going to get slammed. And I love that line. (laughs) What is it? Leadership is disappointing people at a rate they can take. They oh, can I handle. love that. Yeah, you know, I love that. Because <laughs> someone's going to be disappointed. And if you're not disappointing anybody, you're probably not leading, right? So, yeah, I've been learning to um, little things like making sure that I'm reading the signs right. You know, because in, in my culture, there's a lot of subtle criticism. Like, they don't say it to your face usually. It's like beneath the beneath the surface, you get criticized. So learning to kind of just ask hard questions and, and be say, please be honest with me. You know, uh, I've learned to um, kind of, you know, you know, the whole idea of dying on the certain hills that you're willing to die on, not everything you're, you know, you're going to, you should be dying on it because there's going to be criticism about everything. I learned that communication is so important. I mean, a mm. lot of times it's it's misunderstanding and miscommunication or, or lack of communication that's killing you. And uh, I remember um, someone had written in my 40th, you know, birthday book, they, they put one together and they said that, you know, if you, that they, they realized that, for, you know, for instance, I have a, you know, they said I have a kind heart, and if it's if people criticize me, it's they don't understand that I'm trying to do something kind, actually. And that kind of blew me away to think not, number one, he thinks of me that way, but really, but because sometimes it's a miscommunication, misunderstanding part. It's not that they're criticizing your plan; they just they just don't understand, you know, what's happening, you know. Mm. And certainly, that's that's um, something I've experienced many times, you know, where after I explain it with a little bit more personal touch, people are like, oh, okay. <laughs> so after like months of criticism, they're, they're good. They're good with you as long as you talk to them. You know? mm-hmm. so, uh, so communication channels, especially in a larger church uh, are so important. You know, like I, mm-hmm. I realized that I got to put so much more energy in communication than I ever thought I needed to put in. Like one time memo is not going to do it. <laughs> so feedback, communication, all that kind of stuff is, is probably, you know, important. I don't know about mm-hmm. you, Jason, but I, I definitely feel, uh, yeah, you got to yeah. embrace it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I I feel like I'm um, 
not good at it, you know, and you, and it's like, it's that terrifying thing. You know, I think everyone's looking out into their future of trying to lead create courageously, use their voice for things that matter. And it just, it can be like really fearful to make change. I was speaking to a pastor earlier this week and he's got a multi-ethnic congregation and there's one sort of more senior group in the church um, that are a group of families deeply connected and they're super resistant to change. And there's a fear that comes in because it, he, he knows there's some change that the church needs to make so they can continue to reach people far from God and disciple the next generation. But it's this fear around, I know that there's this strong, uh, and, and in some ways, like this church, these people built the church. So there's an honor there too, right? Yeah. But there's just such an awareness of that pushback and that fear of disruption. And, and sometimes like, Comfort can be the enemy of any good change and meaningful change. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm I'm not too fearful of um, you know broad criticism, but I'm what I don't want to see is the toxic kind that they're unwilling to change and they're mm. negative all the time. Like we we are the same. Like the, those who have been at the church longer than you um, are going to be largely your vocal, your most vocal critics, right? It's not usually the the new guy that's been there two years, the young guy that's like, hey, I'm full of fresh ideas. It's usually the guy that says, well, we've done it this way for 25 years and, and please don't change it because we're church is going to implode on itself if it does. And I find with that group, that's a big, significant group in our church, um, especially on the, the, the Cantonese side. I, I really tr- I'm trying to like, you know, build, you know, little connections with them, you know, take them, take the those out for for coffee and just listen to their voice. Once they kind of listen for about an hour, they're they kind of express it. The positive people, usually the non-toxic people will usually go, OK. Yeah, I support that. I kind of also challenge them, like, if you can be a mentor and, and a supporter for what we're doing for the next gen. Hmm. I mean, you know, I'm not even talking my gen. Like, I, I before COVID, I went to visit a youth group, and I used to be the youth pastor. And I'm walking in thinking I'm, you know, I'm young and cool and whatever. And, and I walk in, <laughs> and I'm talking to this guy, and I realize he's, like, 19, and I'm double his age. And then I, I said to myself, to the staff after, I know you guys think I'm young. But I'm fighting for him. I'm not even fighting for my yeah. generation anymore. Like I'm fighting for my son's generation now. And whatever it takes to reach that generation, we gotta mm. go. We gotta go and try it. Versus, well, you know, the 40, 50 year olds, we've done it this way and it's worked. Well, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry to say, but the younger generation, they adapt real quick and it's different. So I'm mm. always trying to challenge them to, to think the think ahead of the mission rather than the the preferences, right? Like the, most of what we're fighting for are preferences, not about reaching people. So that's sort of my my kind of hill I'm willing to die on is like, hey, are we yeah. is this advancing the mission or is it just sort of keeping a few people happy? Hmm. But yeah, criticism is such a big topic, man, <laughs> for young guys especially. Oh man, um, when you were chatting about your own journey around burnout or depression, looking back at that, I, I imagine there's like new rhythms that you've built into your life around your emotional health, your own spirituality, cultivating your own intimacy with Jesus. And just as we kind of move to maybe the end of our conversation, I would just love to chat about your own personal journey with Jesus and like what rhythms as a pastor are, are filling your tank and you know, what is, yeah, what does that look like right now in your world? Yeah. It's so strange because on top of it, you're, you got this whole COVID thing that has forced all of us in a new rhythm, right? And some of it's great, you know, like I have more time with my kids at home. That's helped. Um, I think one big thing is sort of realizing like you you got to know who you are and what unique skills you bring onto the table and what God has gifted you uniquely to do. And be okay that you're not just – you're not Superman. You are not this mm. – this you know, even Jesus couldn't do the things that everybody wanted and being okay with that and absorbing some of the criticism with it. And And I've had to say to some people, yeah, I'm just sorry. I'm just not really good at it. And what I try to challenge and not just say that I'm good, not good at it, but I'll say to them, can you help me with that? You know, if mm. I'm not so good at this, you got to help me, you know? So just understanding that has helped tremendously, understand who I am and how God mm. has built me and wired me. But just in terms of rhythm, like, yeah, for sure. You know, it's COVID season, just being slowing down a little bit more, taking, I think taking care of physical health is yeah. important. That's really quite tied to emotional, mental health. Um I think just speak, I mean, I don't know about you, Jason, but, you know, in your community, just speaking out loud and just telling people that, you know, it's okay not to be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, go talk to someone. That's been kind of 
you know, healing to the soul just to be able to speak it out and say, you know, I'm not perfect. <laughs> I cannot, yeah. I cannot go like a machine. You know, I am not going to always be busy. So, so doing things like that are sort of things that I've been, I've been doing um, that has helped yeah. me a lot and just slowing down. You know, I, I think COVID has forced us to slow down. I don't think that's a bad thing. So yeah. um, shedding a lot of things that away from my life that probably drove me insane. Like, you know, trying to, trying to see so many people in a row and doing this and that and, I think, you know, busyness has really been a, a drain, in, like a drain to all our souls. And hopefully yeah. COVID has forced all of us to, to rethink that mm. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I really appreciate you sharing that. I think one of the things I'm noticing is like, when did the, when did the like restrictions start to really come down? Was that early March? Uh, I would, uh, I remember it was on, it was the week of my birthday. <laughs> so, so I had this big birthday, my wife planned that got totally kiboshed by it. So it ended up being, you know, just people sending cards, but it was like March 15th to 20th. Yeah. That was when it, everything shut down. So March, April, May, June, we're in July now. Yeah. So we're more like, you know, there was the first like eight week sprint and then, you know, and there was some, some tiredness and then, okay, we need to break, but there's like a low grade. I think like a second wave of like discouragement. I think even like I just was chatting with some friends from Melbourne and they're, they're, they have restrictions increased again. So they had yeah. like restrictions and they opened up and there's an outbreak and it can just feel like, oh man, are we still, do we still, are we still doing this? And so I think there is like, um, this season has provided an opportunity for some inreach and for some slowed down, but then, and there's also this low grade, maybe discouragement or, like the tiredness that comes from not knowing how to plan, not knowing where to go, that the exhaustion of leading in the unknown. Yeah. So I'm just so grateful, like for what you said, just to say it's okay to say you're not okay. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, I've some pastors have talked to me recently, and they're just saying one of the problems they're finding is that even though they're home, they're just they're always on the digital world. It's hard to yeah. you, like. I mean, even if like, especially you got young kids that. Uh, you know, it's hard to just be like, I'm going to be off for five days, you know, and yeah. I think we have to kind of get back into that rhythm of taking extended periods off. But for me, I can tell you, I emotionally, I'm doing okay, but mentally I'm a bit drained because yeah. you're just, you're making a lot of changes real quick, you know, because mm -hmm. restrictions come back and oh, back to this, or this guy is going to, you know, you know, this issue, you gotta, you gotta really, you know, so I think there's a lot of a lot of quick changes that we're making that's taken a lot of mental toll on all the pastors. And there's some articles that I've written, you know, that I've seen that have been written on this. You know, people are just, they're saying that a pastoral crash is going to happen because people are just leading in the, in, in the unknown is a tough time. Hmm. So hopefully I'm, I'm praying that pastors won't get that to that crash yeah. and they take precautions, but yeah. Yeah. I think that's part of why we want to have these conversations is, I think when you realize there's, I think the the evil one tries to tell us that we're the only ones struggling in this time. We're the yeah. only ones looking at stats and discouraged. We're the only ones <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who are like, don't know how to like lead our staff remotely. The only ones that, you know, I think it's just to like, to have these conversations and then um, to know that you can reach out to another pastor, another friend in this time. And I mean, that's really the heart. I'd love for us to end on an encouraging note. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. I just would love to know, man. We kind of chat, chat on this earlier, but what are you dreaming for the future of Richmond Hill um, and and the church you're leading? You know, um, I th I think we're sort of in the position of, of becoming a, hopefully a missional movement in the city. Uh, again, from that concept of a church, you know, primarily as an immigrant church, a church that's pretty much wary of the city, scared of the city. <laughs> like isolated insular to a church in the city, sort of, Hey, we're, we're cool to be here. We're happy to a church for the city where the people really know you as, Oh, that's not just that Chinese church down the road. That's, you know, but well, that, that church cares about me, you know, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not an immigrant. I'm not Chinese. So I, I kind of, that's what I've been telling the staff and I'm dreaming about is a being a church for the city, uh, for the world. We got the world at our fingertips in, in Toronto yeah. particularly. And we, we, all the, all the leaders are talking about that, but, are we really truly reaching those groups that are coming in the city? You know, um, that's sort of the dream that I have. Um, I love that. Yeah. That's for the church. Anyways, that's my, that's hopefully people understand what I'm trying to say there, but yeah. I love it, dude. I've just so enjoyed chatting with you. You're such a gift <laughs> and, uh, would love to have you. you a couple of times. You said that's a whole podcast. So let's do another one. Let's dive <laughs> sure. into those themes. Um, for those listening just by audio, I got to tell you, uh, right in front of me right now, I'm looking at, 
on Homing shirt. I think that is, is that Han Solo? That's Han Solo, yeah. And then is that Megatron? Who's that? This is Optimus Prime. Optimus Prime. <laughs> See, I don't even know. Look at me trying my best. I'm like, I'm like a bad youth leader trying to build a bridge. <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm a big geek. I'm a big uh, nerd type of person. And, and usually, actually, all my, all my messages, I have different toys in the background rotating. People <laughs> tend to comment about those toys more than the actual sermon. They'll say it's like an Easter egg. So <laughs> I, I got a, a rotation of toys, yeah. Oh, amazing. Well, thanks for being with me today, man. Thanks, Jason. I really appreciate you guys. Uh, keep up the great work, yeah. Well, thanks, Homing, for taking time to chat with us today. I just love that conversation. Excited to have you back on the podcast. We've got some of our favorite moments from this interview available on our blog, as well as our Instagram and YouTube channels. You can find everything you need to connect more with Homing and his work at Richmond Hill on our website. Just head to cclnca slash blog. Next week, we're going to be releasing a very special episode of the podcast. Tim Hughes, who we had on the podcast a few weeks ago, recorded a conversation with our friend Daryl Johnson centered around the book of Revelation. Daryl wrote a book called Discipleship on the Edge. It's an incredible commentary on the book of Revelation, and it's one of my personal favorite reads. And I believe it really is a roadmap for life as a disciple in this time. And like most of Daryl's content, it's so clarifying and theologically rich, and it's so helpful as a pastor because it really gives you a toolkit to preach into these themes and ideas. So Tim and his team have kindly offered to let us release their conversation because it was so effective and so helpful to you on the podcast. So that's going to be coming at you next week. Before we sign off, I want to share some exciting news from one of our partners from Briarcrest College and Seminary. Briarcrest will be returning to campus this fall in person. In light of the pandemic, perhaps you or someone you know thought that your education plans would need to be put on hold, but that doesn't need to be the case. So as you look to this next year, Briarcrest could be the school you're looking for. Here's what I know. Their courses are highly transferable to other Canadian universities. The community there is heavily focused on discipleship, and they've got world-class faculty geared towards shaping deep, passionate Christ followers. And here's been my experience. Every time I visit Briarcrest, I see the value that they bring to the lives of real people who want to make a kingdom impact in their nation. And so if you or someone you know is looking to explore a Christian post-secondary education, point them to Briarcrest College and Seminary to find out more. You can check out their return to campus ebook and webinar dates at briarcrestcollege.ca slash return. Well, that's all for today. Thank you so much for being here. As always, when you share this podcast and invite other people to join the journey and like and review it, it goes a long way. Appreciate you doing that. We'll see you guys soon. Mm